This episode of Rick and Rick Rule the World is brought to you by Taskin, the first name in ultra-stylish, premium-quality travel gear, like the exquisitely designed Taskin 1 expandable backpack. With nine practical variations, the Taskin 1 is always the right size for wherever life takes you next. Save 30% on your next purchase when you use the promo code RNRTAKE30. That's RNRTAKE30 at TaskinSF.com. Next up on an all-new Rick and Rick is AI, the new UX. Rick W. interviews digital strategy, product, and UX expert Matt Binkowski about his new book, The Creative Algorithm, How to Harness the Power of AI and Create Outstanding Digital Products. Welcome to the show, Matt. It's great to have you here and to be talking about your new book. As you may or may not know, AI is something that I'm pretty passionate about. And the other host of the show, Rick Matheson, as well, we talk about it quite often. And so hearing about it from a designer's point of view, it's going to be really interesting, and especially since you wrote a book about it. And I'm fascinated to get into that. But before we start, why don't you introduce yourself, talk about your background a little bit, your credentials and that sort of thing. Hey, Rick, thanks for having me on the show. I have been in the UX space for over 20 years. I've spent about half my career here in the gorgeous Detroit area where you are compelled to work in automotive, among other things, and about half of it in Silicon Valley where we met many years ago and worked on all sorts of fun things like technology, logistics, transportation, mortgage industry, you name it, even a search engine at one point before I came back to Detroit. If I remember right, you started an agency for a while. You worked for some cool companies. I know you love the off-road and Jeep space because that's a thing that you and I share. And somehow all that kind of came together as part of your journey. Yeah, I would say it's kind of zigzag between different spaces, whether it's been in agencies like Organic or Nogleby and even co-founding my own back in 2012 and working in-house at a variety of places, whether it was Hallmark in Kansas City or recently at Comerica Bank here in Detroit. And it's been on the product side and on the marketing side. So I've seen UX from a variety of angles over the years, which has been pretty fascinating because marketing is very much about short-term interaction. And the thing that I really loved about product and still do is that you get that longer connection with people who are using your product and you get to really know them and get to mold and shape what it is that they get to use over time in a way that they feel happy about. And I think I started to get that initial urge about products while I was still in the marketing space because my wife was involved in the tech museum way back when that got rebuilt many years ago. And I was so jealous of the fact that she got to watch people interact with the things that she made. And I just thought it was fascinating to get that real-time feedback and to get that ability to change things as you go. And then when I did get the opportunity to get into the digital product side, I finally realized that I could get that too. Our topic today is your new book on AI. I've got a ton of interest around this because in my view, and Rick and I debated this actually on an episode recently, I think AI has the potential to be as transformational as the web itself. If we're good or for bad, I think AI is going to have this capability of radically changing how we interact with the world around us. So your book caught my attention, of course, and especially with everything going on in Hollywood right now, you've got a bunch of writers on strike. One of the reasons is because they say that the the writing of these shows is their creative product, and they do not want to see AI trained on that. And so here's somebody from the branding design side stepping forward and writing a book on the topic. So I'm super excited about that. So let's start there. Why did you write this book? Yeah, I mean, you cannot go on LinkedIn and not bump into some post or conversation about AI every single day, multiple times a day. And it's been like that for months and months, especially since ChatGPT was made public to people and everybody wanted to go try 
inside out and crash their servers and make, cause a wait. It was like a new toy, right? Like, oh, what can we do with this? So I started playing around with it. And I'll be honest, the first time I interacted with it and it responded with, sure, I can do blank. When it said I, I kind of freaked out. I was like, yeah. wait, there's no I here. What is this? You know, it reminded <laughs> me back in the days of like learning how to program sites yeah. and like that gratification of having the result happen after you tell it to do something. It's almost like that's programming for verbal people, not technical at all. So the conversations that I kept running into would spring up from other creatives I was connected with on LinkedIn about AI. Some of them were very fearful. What is this going to mean for the state of UX in the world? And what does it mean for design? And then it gets into copy and writing and all that stuff. And I just thought, you know, I really want to learn about this, but I also want to maybe present a side of it that it's not so scary. If we think about it in a certain way, it can really help you be much better at what you do rather than replace you. Right. The theme that I hit throughout the book is the human being has an advantage all the time because of the irrational way that human beings are. And I referenced the book Sway in the introduction, but it's true. How many times do you go to Target? Like, I'm going to go buy something. You know what you want to get. That's why you got in your car and you drove there. And then you end up buying 20 other things you had no clue you were going to end up buying. And they didn't actively market the hell out of you while you're standing there yeah. in the store. You just have a very full life and needs that are not front of mind. And you're there and you start to interact with these other things. So, you know, people are curious and people can't solve every need they have in their life at the same time. So that whole browsing world feeds into the random nature of human beings. I was talking to my son about driving. He's 14. He's about to start driver's training next week. And we went out practicing in the parking lot the other day. And I was showing him how to pull into spots. And after a while, I was like, oh, it's driving so easy. And I said, well, no, you got to think of it this way. When you're driving straight down the road, that's easy. You can control the speed and the direction very easily. But it's all the intangibles that you have to worry about. Is a kid going to run in the street? Is there a deer in your headlights? Is it someone's going to randomly cut you off? The randomness of humanity is what makes us interesting. So AI can be very logical and AI can be very formulaic, but that's kind of why I titled my book, The Creative Algorithm. They're not creative yet. They're trying, but they're not acting with that randomness based on some sort of instinct and history that they have to then produce something. Yeah, at least not yet, right? So the intent is that eventually it will get there. So talk to me a little bit about how you see AI being used in digital design today. And as somebody who's been in that space, where's it going to next? I think there's an interesting reaction today from different types of organizations to the whole idea of using AI. Some companies are just banning it outright. Some may not know that you're using it for a certain reason, and they're not locking you down right away. And others maybe are trying to say, oh, we're so cool. We're using this now. There's some use case that we've come up with to participate in whatever it is that we're doing. But for a designer, you are really honestly limited by the tools that you have to work with. It's not like painting where their AI is not involved with a grab canvas and paint and a brush, but the design tools I use and the research tools that I use and even the tools that organize the work that I do are going to change. And they're probably going to start implementing these types of things in ways that maybe we're not thinking of now. And then that could change your idea of workflow. That could change your idea of timing on things. How quickly can you give me another design brick? 
you gave me one good one. I need a second one, you know? Yeah. And that's hard, right? As a human being, it's difficult to be in two different headspaces when you're designing something. So I think design itself could look at AI as a tool for inspiration and a tool for guidance in some cases. But it's really going to come down to the Adobe's, the Figma's, the Sketch, the, you know, user testing, all that stuff. And how they decide AI is going to be useful to your job or your role. After this short break, we'll continue our interview with Matt Binkowski, the author of The Creative Algorithm, How to Harness the Power of AI and Create Outstanding Digital Products. Stay tuned. Hey, Rick and Rick Nation, don't forget to check out our website at rickandrick.com. It's double the Rick in just one click at rickandrick.com. And we are back. You're listening to Rick and Rick Rule the World with more from Rick W's conversation with Matt Binkowski, author of The Creative Algorithm, How to Harness the Power of AI and Create Outstanding Digital Products. It's funny because I wanted to see this movie for a long time and I just kept not seeing it for no particular reason. And it was called Hidden Figures. And it was about this group of black women who worked for NASA as computers. I mean, literally, they're the title on the doors, computers, they're human computers. And they would calculate trajectories and things like that that NASA needed in order to determine if they could get somebody to space and back safely. And one of the things I thought was super interesting is there was a point at which I think it was HP had brought a computer to NASA you know, a, a more traditional computer, a mainframe that we're used to seeing today. And there was a moment where the lead lady in charge of the computers said, basically, we can either go figure out how to program the computers or we're going to be in a situation where we're replaced. And they went and instead became, I think, Fortran programmers. And they were able to transition and they all kept their jobs. And so I feel like that's the inflection point we're at today, where there's a lot of fear and apprehension around AI especially in the design community, the writing community, the creative community. But I feel like they need to flip the script and they need to literally go take a cue from that movie and figure out how to utilize that thing as opposed to trying to prevent that thing because they're never going to prevent AI from proliferating. It's going to happen. The genie's out of the bag. So now how do you use it? How do you become the person with the most skills to be able to do something with? Are you seeing this as well in the creative community? Yeah, I mean, I think copywriters are probably the most scared right now because Chad GPT yeah. usage, you know, write me a cover letter for this company, for this role with my background, you know, and then it just jams it out. You can just use it endlessly to generate text. However, it does take someone who has some critical thinking and some creative skill to look at that and say, no, none of this is actually getting to where I want it to go. I think either you then use it to shape where it should go. You keep nudging it in certain directions because yeah. you can't seem to think of the great way you want to say it or you're just locked or whatever. But you have to keep pushing on it to get to a place where you feel like that meets your creative need. Yeah. And it's not just, oh, it spit out 10 options of a headline for a Facebook post and I'll just pick number four. Who cares? You know, like, that's not going to work. And I think the point that you made is what it has is the ability to regurgitate information. What it doesn't have is the ability to understand the context of the question. And unless you learn how to tell it what the context is, then it's going to come up with something random. It's just a fun experiment. The other day, a friend of ours was trying to write a new description for his dating profile. And I said, dude, chat GPT, let's go. 
And so, you know, I oh, had to, like when I just asked it to write a profile for a VP of operations, blah, 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 you know, it came up with something that was fine. But when I talked about his interest and, and fed all that information, then all of a sudden it actually came out really good. I don't think he used it word for word, but it absolutely was the inspiration for the update that he made. So to your point, I think the magic here is using it as a tool like Photoshop right now has the ability to understand what's in a photo and what's in an object, what's in a piece of art, and then be able to remove things, backgrounds, people, whatever. And as somebody who studied design, I remember what it used to take to use the lasso tool to get rid of that stuff. <laughs> and for me, if that's what I did for a living, I'd be really intimidated, but I don't do that for a living. So I personally think it's amazing and everybody needs to figure out how to use it in the skill is understanding how to use it in the best way and how you could use the tool to produce a better product than somebody else who's less educated. And again, AI, I kind of feel like is in the same boat. Yeah, I agree. I think that in the automotive industry, when you have to shoot photos of a vehicle, it used to be really expensive to go get the vehicle, throw it in a truck, find a beautiful or amazing location, get it there, have a crew to take care of it, have a crew of people trying to sort out you know, the shot and the angle. And if you to do anything special to get it the way you want it. Now it's all 3D rendered. The cars aren't real. They look just as perfect as they should in life because that's based off a 3D model too. But it took a creative director or some photographer to craft that shot. So I think it's been happening for a while. We just don't see it or don't think about it because maybe we don't care. You look at a cool car on a fast highway and you're like, that's cool. And then you move on. You're not thinking about all the effort that it went into create that pre-3D. So I wanted to write the book because I want to give people a little bit of hope from a different perspective because you could easily say some CEO is going to look to value engineer me out of the whole organization, right? Like, I'll just have this computer produce my app for me. And no, you know, there's so much that goes into it. So yeah, I just wanted to take that point of view and then think of ways of like, well, how could it help me? Here are all the different phases of product development in terms of the early concepting to design to rapid prototyping to user testing and even competitive analysis. Like, how can it help me? Because truth is, there's a lot of legwork and there's a lot of slow, difficult stuff to do that maybe some of it you really shouldn't spend your time on because you're better used elsewhere. We'll be back after this short break. This episode of Rick and Rick Rule the World is brought to you by Taskin, the first name in ultra stylish, premium quality travel gear, like the exquisitely designed Taskin One expandable backpack. With nine practical variations, the Taskin One is always the right size for wherever life takes you next. Save 30% on your next purchase when you use the promo code RNRTAKE30. That's R&R TAKE30 at TaskinSF.com. Welcome back to Rick and Rick Rule the World and more from Rick Wooten's conversation with Matt Binkowski. In your book, you talked about a number of things, you know, that AI can help with like personas and design systems, prototyping, user feedback, analysis. And I definitely see that, particularly the analysis and the user testing part, you know, crunching all that data and producing some learnings or results that somebody can then interpret, right? To the point you made earlier, it's got to be interpreted. Can you talk to me a little bit about this and how that would work, you know, particularly the prototyping? I think that'd be super interesting. Yeah. So from a user testing standpoint, I've worked with really talented researchers over 
over the years. And, you know, you don't have to test 100 people to spot a problem, right? You can do it 12, 10 people, you'll start to notice a trend, and then you dig into it. And that's where the human watching and listening and interpreting what their intent is and how they respond and what they wished it would do, that's where the magic happens to try to come up with points of recommendation or a breakdown of what really happened to inform the product team to figure out what to do. So there is some level of legwork that AI can do for you. It doesn't have to be on some grand monster data scale. You don't need to run a test of 10,000 people every day of your life to figure out if someone can check out when they're in the shopping path. You know, like it's not that impossible to understand. But if you do allow it to understand, like you're saying, the context within the test, like if you understand who in a very fine detail is taking this test now, and that type of persona is compared to another persona you've crafted, then it gets really interesting because then you can actually run many of those tests without the legwork, let it go do it, and then try to sift through it to give you some things to think about and try to find like the commonalities or differences between them. I've done a ton of persona testing over the years and the different roles I've been in. And usually you kind of have a hypothesis. So you go in and you ask a fairly finite number of questions trying to prove or disprove your theory. Mm -hmm. But how cool would it be to ask 100 questions? You know, you still have a theory, but you're going to ask 100 questions and then you could use the power of AI or what have you to then look across that for patterns and combinations and to stack rank the influential factors. And I remember, I think this was after you and I worked together, but I, I was working with a designer back when I worked at Palm and we were doing this test and we went in and it had nothing to do with the homepage, but we went in and at the same time, he's like, I have a new version of the homepage. I think it'd be cool to test. And so he showed me this homepage and it had 50 links at the bottom of it. And I'm like, Jim, what are you doing? This is terrible. I hate this. Like, we're not going to do this. He's like, let's just test it. And so uh, we did and he was right and it tested really well. Like we used the tree jacking kind of simulation in order to, to test it out. And, you know, net net, people were able to get to what they're looking for a lot faster. Now, fast forward, now they're called super footers and it's a common thing. But, you know, back when we did this, like it wasn't that. And it was like, I thought it was crazy he was trying to do this. And so that's what I would like to be able to do is like, you know, determine what are the key factors that I can't even think of. Like, it's great when you can get a room full of UX people together because they each have their own experience. They each have their own kind of like specialization of focus. And so what you end up with coming out as a group is bigger than what it would have been for any individual or whatever. And that's the kind of the thing I think might be kind of interesting here is that ability to rapidly come up with what that next thing is. Yeah. When we think about product design, we think about it in terms of a human being is going to utilize the product. But if you go a step further, maybe your AI is going to be doing the thing for you using another system, right? And I forgot where this came from, but I want to think it was Facebook. Essentially, these two AIs were conversing and they ended up creating their own language. Eventually, they basically broke it down into their own way of quickly talking to each other that we could never understand. So it could get to that point where the AI is interacting with the AI and it's doing it in a way that's so lightning fast and the thought of a human interface is not necessary for certain things could happen. And maybe it should, because why would you want to go have to do that manually? But other things that are designed to pique your interest, to kind of trigger things in your mind, to get you to fantasize or think about, well, what if I decided to go on that trip to go kayaking? You know, well, what if I did that? That could, that could be a lot of fun. Like those types of moments or those types of experiences are things that it's not a logical decision. You know, it's a human decision that you're trying to make. You know, so I 
I think there's a lot in there that things could morph into other things like banking. If you use your mobile app, money is an idea at the end of the day. Unless you actually want to go prove that it's an idea and withdraw your cash, it's still an idea if you don't do that. So like you're working with something that is already abstract anyway. And I guess a, a, a funny kind of sad recent example is that we recently switched from one bank to another. And we got over there and, you know, we thought, oh, this is the biggest bank and they probably, they've got some good tools. And you go in there and you say, I want you to get my bills so I can then pay them online. And they go, oh, we don't have that. My jaw dropped. I'm like, wait, wait, hold on. We just moved, we just set up with you guys and you don't even have that. I'm like, well, we do. But if you're not in our system, we can't do it. You think about this, if, if the idea is like, if it was an AI, would that be the response? Would it not have the ability to get that bill electronically and then pay it for you? Tune in next time for the conclusion of our interview with Matt Binkowski, the author of The Creative Algorithm, How to Harness the Power of AI and Create Outstanding Digital Products. Until then, stay safe, keep each other safe, and keep on coming back to the one show where almost everybody's name is Rick. And everybody rules the world. <laughs>